Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast for the recap of Stage 4 of the Vuelta a España 2021 here with Benji, as always, supported by our show partner, Lacole, who produced performance cycling apparel. Again, a stage with no categorized climbs, but it's a sprint stage, but a little bit rolly as well. But yeah, it didn't really matter. Uh, there was also people like, oh, maybe the crosswinds. Didn't matter either. <laughs> it's a pretty straightforward sprint stage. And uh, yeah, there's the uphill finish. There was a little bit of consternation yesterday where Benji and I were looking at the official roadbook and I was like, is this for Magnus Court and Roglic, not Jakobsen and Philipson? It's saying 1K 6%. And it's, uh, it was not that, <laughs> that's for sure. It was a little rise at the end, but yeah. it was like a 65K an hour run in and then they hit this last 500 metres. They're going so fast. It's a pure sprinter stage uh, in my view at least. But, yeah, Benji, classic Velta breakaway once again. Yeah, two riders from Burgos BH actually, Madrazo and Canal. Madrazo is the guy that won that uh, stage a few years ago ahead of his teammate, Yetzabal. We also had a Boo or Bao or whatever you pronounce it like from Oiskaltel also in the breakaway. Gap opened up to like four minutes 30, but you know that the sprinting teams are controlling this. So an Alpesin, a Koenig, and an FDJ all have their riders set up at the front, working together to try and close this gap down. And that's basically it for that. Those guys took points, obviously, at the intermediate sprint, but there was also uh, people taking points in the peloton. Seneschal took points and Philipson. So... Seems like Jakobsen decided not to sprint in his intermediate sprint, or yeah, it was Philipsen taking points on Jakobsen. Then extra points, and he had a lead of 10 points by then. And um, You know what I think happened? What happened? Tell me. I reckon Jakobsen decided he lost the other stage because he went for the intermediate sprint ahead of Aaron Baru, and it took a little bit out of his legs, the, the 16Ks to the finish the other day. And I reckon he decided. You thought it was going to be a wild conspiracy, Benji. This is actually a rational one. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and I think Jakobsen decided he's going to go for the stage win today and worry about points later, is my view. Because uh, people ask that in the comments, like, Philipson didn't go for that Aaron Bruce sprint. So maybe that made the difference later. Yeah. Basically, from that point onwards, it was just the, the peloton cruising towards the breakaway. Eventually, uh, a peloton, including Carapaz with a golden helmet that is twice as dense as a. Uh, as copper catching the breakaway. Listen, at- <laughs> everyone in the comments appears to be some sort of amateur metallurgist, okay, <laughs> saying, oh, you should know copper's not as heavy as gold. I don't know. I don't invest in gold. Long long run yield, not financial advice. I've got, but- a, I've got a question for you. <laughs> oh, yeah. What weighs more, a kilo of gold or a kilo of uh, copper? Exactly the same, Benji. A kilo. Ah. What about a cubic <laughs> meter? Is bro- I mean, is, is it even cos? Cos? Is it even copper? Uh, or is it bronze, carapaz? Were you saying, you know, is bronze denser than copper? I don't know. All the people that seem to trade fine metals <laughs> that listen to this podcast and let me know is bronze is a cubic meter of it denser than uh, gold. But yeah, sidetracked once again. Yeah, that was it basically. And the breakaway was caught and we uh, were going into the final few kilometers 
with a peloton that was storming and he had a bit of a, a a conversation with me just before we started recording here about teams getting to the front and then going back again and going to the front now you can run the way well from what it looks like it's got you got all the classic trains set up it looks like Big Tour de France sprint stage with five trains all lined up: De Kernic, Phillips, um, Alpes and Phoenix, FDJ with Geniets there, and I think EF as well were ambitious for uh, Magnus Court today. And then it gets to like five Ks, and suddenly it's the GC teams taking over because they're going for the three K sprint. We have Dylan Van Baal on the right for Bernal and Pickcock as well on the left for Bernal on the white jersey. Movistar in the middle, Bahrain trying to move up. And honestly, I reckon I have no never been a director sportif, never ridden obviously at, at that level. It seems to me the act of moving up in a panic is more dangerous than I don't know, just accepting where you are personally. But then you got Adam Yates the other day, lost time. So maybe not. But the point is they move up, all the sprinters' teams disappear. They'd have done seven, not Knox for De Koenig move, uh, working, and then they disappear, and then they almost have to start this. Everything they've done in the last 5Ks goes to nothing. What was the point of it when you now you spent riders and now you just have to move up from the back or the middle all over again? So I don't know, Benji, I, like – what would you do differently? Would you do anything differently? Is there a rational explanation for what happened? Is it just still on Van Baal's fresher and they just let them take over and they'll come back at 2Ks? Or would you be like, just wait until 3Ks are done, keep Knox and Van Seven on fresh, use them to punch through and keep three guys left for the train? Well, um, I honestly don't know what I would do. I think that a lot of teams just want to be at the front and Sometimes you're not at the front and sometimes you are. And I think it's more of a consequence of other people going over you and you not being fast enough to respond to be ahead of them that forces you to move back again. Because I'm not sure it's specifically like only sprint trains at that point and then only GC teams at that point. It feels like it's always a bit of a combination. And it's always a combination where certain teams are once again on one side moving up again. So, for example, at 3K today, we have Movistar moving up on the left side of the road, overtaking every single sprint train. And that is when we eventually have a crash as well with Tarame. Is that a consequence of movement like this? Perhaps it's likely, but in the end, yeah, there's always movements in the peloton that could cause a crash. And eventually uh, Tarame was able to finish the stage, but I decided to throw that into this discussion because I didn't know what to respond to your question. So we're going towards <laughs> the sprint. Yeah, I got that sprint. I mean, again, it's like all these GC contenders, you know, you're watching through half-closed eyes. With, I'm not sure if that was Roglic, one of the Yama Visma riders who Ku sphered into, like nearly, if it was him, nearly went down again. But yeah, going into the finish, again, it was FDJ, bad first sprint stage today, completely different story. It was actually Alperson who weren't so good today going under the Flamme Rouge. They had one lead-out man on front, then Philipson, then DeMar's got two guys in front of him. So perfect for him right now. Uh, Jakobsen had one man, probably Van Leeberger, sort of having to close back to DeMar's wheel. And on Jakobsen's wheel was Sasha Modelo, I believe, seven deep. And he's had to move up from 800 to go, trying to move onto then Philipson's wheel. He gets there. There's a big fight between Van Leeberger and Philipson for DeMar's wheel. Actually, I was going to be a little crit critical of it, and I probably still will. I was like, 
Van Lieberger had almost the rights to that wheel and he let Philipson bully him off it and take that wheel. Didn't really matter in the end. And so it was he sprinting, maybe it was Sheba, I'm not sure, uh, with Jakobsen on his wheel. Mezgetz then takes Jakobsen off his own lead-out man's wheel with Matthews there. So Jakobsen just starts surfing wheels pretty much a little bit deeper in the bunch. And you know who brings up Jakobsen through the chicane with about 500 meters to go. It's this, uh, he cuts the inside following Sasha Modelo, who instead of leading out Philipson, cuts to the front, almost starts a reverse lead out sprinting. I think he might have actually been, this might have been a sneak attack. Guarnieri closes it for DeMar. Excellent work from him. Excellent lead out. DeMar opens up maybe earlier than he needed to, a little bit of panic that maybe Modelo was getting away. We've got Philipson and Jakobsen either side on his wheel, and DeMar. This is like, it reminds me of that Paranese uphill sprint a lot, Benji, with uh, Sam Bennett, the one Sam Bennett clowned everyone in, in the hoods on. Yeah. DeMar opening up maybe earlier than he needed to, giving the lead out to Jakobsen, another big quick step guy who absolutely just destroys him in the finish, winning easily by, I think, a bike length over DeMar and then caught third. But I was watching that. You were focused on Philipson. Maybe your Belgian bias, Benji, but um, <laughs> no, jokes aside, you, what happened to him in this sprint? Because through that chicane, there was a lot of, I don't know, there were people moving up, people getting shut out, people, all, everyone trying to fight for Demar's wheel. Well, it already starts at the moment that you started your sprint explanation with. At 1K to go, you indeed see that the first rider, who is ahead of the lead out of Philipson, goes over the front. So he has one rider left with 1K to go. That's an issue. Where are the other riders? Well, that move that Alpson made at 1K to go to go to the front caused a tiny gap between DeMar's train, Alpson's train, and the rest of the peloton. And two riders from Alpson were sitting in the wheel of Philipson going into that moment. So they lost the wheel of Philipson in that corner. And perhaps the plan was to move up in the next 300 meters with the likes of Modelo and set him ahead of Philipson because with one rider, you won't be surviving the final kilometer. and. Now, that costs, eventually, to Philipson that he had to move into DeMar's wheel slot behind DeMar because his lead-out was not going to make it for the end of the stage. And Modelo moved up again in the meanwhile. Modelo, if he was in that train in front of Philipson, then Philipson would not have to move onto the wheel of DeMar on this finish, and he likely would be able to sprint like that. But because he had to move into the Mars wheel, he gets into a situation in the final bend where he gets, ah, it's, you've got the inside corner. He's actually one meter off the inside corner. And you've got people trying to jump in there. You've got Jordi Meus trying to jump in there. Matthew's on the left side of him. And those two riders cause a bit of a sandwich in which he is the, well, what's in between the sandwich the filler <laughs> yeah <laughs> the filler <laughs> and uh eventually that pinching caused him to lose all his momentum and his sprint speed was completely gone going into the final 150 meters so yeah you can't win a sprint like that then again i personally don't think he would have won the sprint no but i don't think so i can't say it for certain but i think that it's not worth discussing that what if because jakobsen is a very 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 deserving winner here and I'm really happy to see him come back from all the stuff he's been through and come back with a Grand Tour victory in his first Grand Tour back. And I can't wait to see him uh, fight on the Champs-Élysées next year. That's what we said the other day. I think we're in for a good battle at this Vuelta between these guys yep. and maybe 
I mean, FTJ got it right today. Damar a little bit early. I think Damar, I don't know. It's it's the difference, I think, Benji, between Giro. He's got Peter Sagan in his wheel and he can launch at that time and still win. Yeah. Fabio Jakobsen, you can't. It's a different level yeah. guy in these Jakobsen bunch better, sprints. a better sprinter, simply. Yeah, so that made the difference. Before we get to the top 10 results and preview tomorrow's stage, mention our show partner, LeCole. There's obviously the LR Vuelta 20. That's all caps, LR Vuelta 20, 20% discount code for LeCole kit. But there's also the LeCole custom kit. If you follow them on Instagram, there's uh, you can see that they produced kit for the Team 2024 who recently took on Unbound Gravel in Kansas with their custom design kit. They do it for, that's obviously in the US, but a lot of UK teams as well. And they can do that for people all around the world. They've been producing custom kit for sustainably for many years now. Look, if you want to check out any of their stuff or use our discount code below for their performance cycling apparel, it's at www.lacole.cc. The final top 10 for this stage, Fabio Jakobsen first, then Demarcourt, Dainese, better result fourth, Matthews fifth, Piet Allegat sixth, then Maus, Trentin, Philipson, Ricardo Minali. A little bit disappointing for Jon Aberastri, Benji. I remember one of his guys on Kaha did a, um, they like shredded the, put the bunch single files, like four Ks to go, <laughs> one of the Kaha guys. Uh, Sepp Van Mark, 14th. So who have Israel got here? Have they got Chimalai here, Benji? Surely Chimalai would be quicker than. Is he quicker than Van Mark on this finish? I would take him. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, but I think it's more of a positioning issue because the moment that that split up happened that I mentioned where DeMars and Alpsen's train was a bit off the front of the peloton by like a few meters, that's when a lot of positioning issues started happening. Aramburu was in a complete dog shit position at that point. And I was like, <laughs> no way in hell he's getting to the front because he was doing a sprint with 1K to go. Like Aramburu is the rider that always sprints too early, but... With 1K to go, you won't make it today. <laughs> but uh, all in all, all the GC riders finished uh, safely in this race, which is a good thing. And next to that, we have uh, Tarame still in the lead because he uh, crashed in the final three kilometers. So that's also pretty good for him. Yeah, exactly. Um, it would have been such a shame. Imagine if he lost the red jersey just because he's 3.1K. Dude, it'd be so sad for him. All right, tomorrow's stage, another sprint stage. It's like very Tour de France style first week, in fact, for this year's Vuelta. 185Ks. This one's pancake flat. We've got an intermediate sprint with 321 bonuses, 63Ks uh, to the finish. Maybe now with Jakobsen picking up a win and Philipson with one. I think I'd expect him to contest that tomorrow to go for the points jersey. And have you looked at the run-in, Benji? Today was like the main run-in with 10Ks to go was super fast, 65Ks an hour plus, but then there were some bends in the, the actual last uh, sort of 200 metres. Again, that, the bend reminded me a lot of stage three actually where the way DeMar cut that corner and then Jakobsen stood onto his wheel reminded me a lot of uh, – no, you're in stage three. Okay, tomorrow I'm looking at the overhead. It's literally there on a highway, straight line the whole time. <laughs> this stage, Jesus. And then the run-in is a straight line and it gets a little bit bendy into town. We have a 110-degree left-hander, a roundabout, which they should take relatively quickly, and then a 90-degree roundabout, yeah. but then it's a long straight. So this is sort of, Benji would always mention, you know, if there's around about 150 metres to go, Ewan is good, but... This is going to be very open again. 
and uh, who are you picking? I think we got I got them the wrong way around. I picked Philipson and for today and Jakobsen for the first stage in the preview. Who have we got for tomorrow, Benji? Sprinters again. We both had the Mara think on this one, and uh, I'm willing to stick with that, even though it might as well be Philipson or it might as well be Jakobsen on this finish. They're all three very close to each other, and I just trust Demar's lead out for that little bit of the uh, roundabouts in the final two, three kilometers, but I don't think it's going to have an insane effect. I think that all three can get to the front and can fight for this stage, and I'll be happy with either three winning, to be honest. I'll be happy with anyone winning, as long as it's a fun race. Yeah, it's, I'll stick with him, but again, not exactly going to be surprised if if Jakobsen or Philipson win. This is Fabio Jakobsen. I think he's he's back at top level. Like he's already this year since his return won two stages at Tour de Wallonie, which you know dot pro. But I thought it was already looking very very sharp. Beat him there, although he might not have been in the group. And then yeah, already. <laughs> still, That's a small detail, mate. <laughs> still counts. Didn't get over the hill. You're going to count it. Um, and then Welter, yeah, back winning at the Welter. I think from Lefebvre's perspective, I wouldn't be extending Cavendish on huge money if, if money is yep. tight. I mean, to be honest, if you're running like a team and I was running a team, I'd, I'd be like, surely I can get sponsors to chip in for Cavendish, like a fair bit of exposure. But yep. um, if that's not the case, then I think I think Lefebvre's master plan is to let Bennett go and always was and he's been – thinking Jakobsen will go to the Tour next year. And, yep, <laughs> I think he'll be pretty good at the Tour next year. Um, yep, I agree. Any other news from this stage, Benji? Any any tidbits? Another pretty sleepy one for the most part. Yeah, I think there's nothing too much to add. I think that um, we've got a few more transfers that we can go through in a couple of weeks once we've got a few bigger ones coming. Like, for example, once the uh, incoming Aramburu transfer gets officially announced. But for now... There's just not enough to fill an entire podcast. So for now, we'll have to uh, wait a bit, I think. There is some news with Astana. I guess we haven't mentioned yeah. Vino is back. It's very, very unusual what's been happening with Astana. Uh, so Vino was ousted. I'm not sure on the orders of who. Twice this year. And <laughs> came back twice. He demoted. <laughs> yeah, demoted to the point where, he, yeah, he was like fired for a day, then came back in a lower role, and then now he was properly fired. And then he put up some Instagram stories saying, I'll be back. And I was like, when he says he'll be back, he'll be back. And then I think the Kazakh shareholders of the team wanted him back. And so when he was, that was decided, a start, uh, Premier Tech, the Canadian co sponsor, it seems like we're out. <laughs> we're out. And then so they lost a the title sponsor. They're continuing next year, according to the press release the other day. There's Yana Seal also there, um, who was managing. So he was moved to just managing t- uh, like rider stuff. Now he says the press release says he's back managing all staff, which was formerly Yana Seal's ambit. So I don't know what's going on there. Um, but yeah, stay tuned. Some power dynamic struggles at Astana. As always, and whether they'll be re-signing guys, will they re-sign Lushenko? I thought I thought he was going to be out the door if Vino wasn't back there. So I've got a question for the for the listeners. Well, uh, <laughs> in the comment section or with hashtag LRCP, which riders that don't have a contract yet would you sign if you are Vino at Astana right now? Thomas, one year. Okay, that was, for, that was for the listeners, not for you. Well, no, because they can't. And now we know that's my idea, so they can't they can't <laughs> steal it. I got it on public record. Yeah, they okay, try. To, okay, okay. Always trying to one up me. 
All right. <laughs> All right. That's enough for, for today's podcast. If you do like the podcast, make sure to give it a review or a rating on podcast players. Makes a big difference, particularly for us next year. And so, you know, so we know the pod is actually good. If it's not, I mean, it is what it is. If you watch on YouTube, make sure to subscribe to the channel there. We're trying to hit 20K subs, in which case we'll do a Q&A again. And we'll see you with the recap of Stage 5 tomorrow. Ciao. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 